0: Well as you know we're in the book of Ephesians and if you want to turn there you can this morning. We finished chapter one, which deals with this big view of God. The first half of it really talks about who God is and what He's done. Uh, the second half of chapter one talked about this big view of God's church. And quite frankly, it's left me, for lack of a better word, it's left me a bit inspired about what God can do, if that makes sense. I get excited about thinking about what God can do. We serve an amazing God. And He does things even more amazing than healing people of cancer. He does things like take a person who hates him and turns them into someone who loves him. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that many of us have many people we love and are concerned about. That we desperately want to see that miracle done in their life. Now last week I gave an example. I started off with an example. Do you remember the example that I started off with? testing your memories here. Ah, the boat on the lake. Remember the boat on the lake? And at some point, while I was talking about the boat on the lake, you guys, something started to dawn on you, and it wasn't all at once. First, it was kind of a, hmm, I could see it in your faces, and then at one point or another, it was different for different people, but at one point or another, some of you started going, he is not talking about Lake Vermilion. Right? Remember which lake I was talking about? Lake Michigan. Right? Uh, I've actually been uh, up on the edge of Lake Michigan is what reminded me of this story. You guys know Jason Hummerkhaus who's been here. Uh, when we were in college one time uh, we went to this guy's house. We were right up there um, close to the lake and uh, it was in the middle of winter. And this guy said he, he let us come to his house Real got real well off and he had a great big house and and uh, he was going to let us stay there for the weekend. And so we get there, and the guy that's there, and he was kind of a odd individual. He, he had down in his basement, he had a hot tub, right? And out the side of the basement was doors that went straight out onto the, like there was a beach kind of thing, was pebbles and stuff, right onto Lake Michigan. And he said, you know, sometimes he says, he, he goes, we'll, we'll get down, I'll get down here and I'll get real hot in the hot tub, and I'll just go into the lake. And so we're, we're we're sitting there in the hot tub, you know. And we're like, you know, all right, we can if you can do it, we can do it. And uh, we it was cold. I'm just going to tell you right now, it was very very cold. But uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. So I'm going to leave that story and come back. Um, so we're looking at Ephesians, and like I said, it's left me a little bit inspired thinking about who God is and what He can do. Now we started chapter two, and I want to encourage you today to really put your brains into gear and really think through these things with me, okay? Uh, we we started talking in chapter 2, and we covered the first three verses. And the first three verses of chapter 2 talked about what? You can you can cheat. What's that? Yeah, the bad news, right? first three verses of chapter 2 is it's bad news, isn't it? I mean, you read it, and you're going, this is bad. This is bad this is bleak I think would be a good word this is bleak this is bad news right I mean it describes the the state of people and in fact it's it's uh, very specifically talking about the the Christians that Paul is talking to he's talking to a certain group of people and he's saying this is how you were right you were once this way you were dead is your spiritual state now it's very important to to understand chapter 2 of Ephesians verses 1-10 through ten. the thing that I, I've learned from this the, the, the thing you have to know to understand this is that Ephesians chapter 2 is not talking about here's how you get saved right it's not, that's not at all what Paul's talking about and you may not realize it at first glance it's also not talking about what God has done in history for salvation Because it it doesn't mention the cross of Jesus. That's essential to understanding the gospel. It doesn't even mention it. What's Ephesians 2 about? Ephesians chapter 2, the first ten verses, at least. We'll get to the other ones later. These first ten verses, the focus of those ten verses is, is Paul is like peeling back the curtain. And he's saying, I want you to know what happens in a person's heart and soul when they get saved, right? Now, and it's not even talking about uh, you know up with what God is doing because it doesn't talk about the fact that we're declared righteous and we're justified. Those are essential things of the gospel. This is simply talking about what is going on in a, per, in a person when they get saved. That's what it's talking about. And so we don't talk about justification where you're declared righteous with God and we don't talk about the penalty of sin being taken care of in Christ. and It doesn't talk about any of that stuff. It's just talking about, you might call it, the mechanics of salvation. What's actually happening when a person gets saved, right? And I gave the example of the lake because I have to be honest with you. As I read Ephesians chapter 2 and as I read much of the Bible, I get that feeling like I've heard about salvation, but then I'm reading what the Bible says and after a point I'm going... This isn't Lake Vermilion, right? This is something bigger. This is something grander than I ever thought it was. And honestly, you can't read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses about sin and about man's state. I, I, gotta, I don't think you can read it without asking this question. If this is true, I mean, really true. Now, we say that. you believe the Bible's true? Nod your head. Yeah, raise your hand. Yes, I believe the Bible's true. Okay. Uh, if you believe this is true, if this is really true, how could anyone ever get saved? I mean, you can't read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, without going, how could, how could anybody get saved? Now, we understand, yes, Jesus came to the cross, He died on the cross for our sins, and we, we get that, But but the problem that's presented in Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses isn't about the fact that God needs justice done. It's simply about your personal state, a human's state of being. What are they like? And the truth is, you are a person who, not naturally, will ever seek God. And this is why it says in Romans, there is none who seek God. There's none righteous, not one. Nobody understands. Nobody nobody, in and of themselves turns to God. There's nobody in themselves that turns to God and says, I want God. Like we sing the song, I'm desperate for you, I long after you. No human being in and of themselves would ever do that according to this. And so you start thinking, how could anybody ever get saved? Right? How could this ever happen? But then comes in verse 4. Verse 4 starts off with what? What two words? But God. Now, we love the but God in history, don't we? Because we say, oh, man was a sinner and and, and nobody was righteous in the sense that nobody was good enough. But God stepped in with Jesus and and, and made a way, right? Someone came in and lived righteously so that now their righteous life can be ours. But remember, this isn't talking about that. This is talking about in your heart. If you're a child of God, the reality is that even with your salvation, not just the salvation offered to the world, but with your salvation, you have to give all the credit still to God. If it wasn't for God... You know I, you know what I love about that is many many of you will say that. You know, you talk about getting saved and you go, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be. It's like we recognize that in ourselves. but And, and Paul is teaching it here. Paul is saying... If it wasn't for God, nobody but God, right? Being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, right? Now, in this section, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to go up to verse 6 today, there are three main verbs. In fact, I, I've learned that this is also, again, one big sentence, verses 1 through 10. This is, the third, this is the We're only in the third sentence of Ephesians, right? Uh, this is one big long sentence. Again, in the original Greek, this is one long sentence, and in this big, long sentence, there's three main verbs, okay? Three main verbs. All three of those verbs, and I believe I have a slide for you for this, have this in there as part of the verb. Now, S-Y-N. Now, what kind of words have S-Y-N at the beginning? That's not a misspelling. You guys are like, is that supposed to be sin? <laughs> no. S-Y-N. What, what, kind of, what word has S-Y-N at the beginning? Synonymous, synonym, how about synchronized, right? Uh, the word S-Y-N, that's a prefix in our, even in our English language that means, it literally means in the Greek language, it means with or together, okay? And so I'm going to share with you these three verbs, okay? The first one is this, number one. Made us alive together with Christ. That's in verse 5. Now, I'm going to read through here in a second. I just want you to know what they are before I read it so you can listen for them. That's, that's all one word except for the word Christ. Made us alive together with. And I talked about this last week. And that word, that sin is there. And so it's not just the verb made alive. It's made alive with. Made alive together with. Right? It's part of the word. It's not like a separate word with, like we have it here. It's part of the same word. The second verb is raised up with him. There it is again. That's why they have that with in there. That's not just filler. It's actually part of the verb. We're raised up. We're not just raised up. We're raised up with. It's it's connected, right? And the third verb is seated us with him. Right And there's that with. That's why that word with is in there, because it's this S-Y-N, where something is synchronized, right, or, or together with Christ in each case. Now, let's read the first... Uh, I'm going to read it from verse 1 to verse 6, and I'm going to stop right there, because we're not going to get into verse 7 yet. Verse 1 to verse 6, it says this, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world." made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, those three main verbs in this portion of Ephesians, like I said, each have sin. And So what we're going to do is we're going we're to ask two questions. First I'm going to say, what does the Bible say? What is it saying? And then I'm going to say, what does it mean? Right? What does this mean? us. Okay, so let's start off with that first one again, made us alive together with. Now there's a few things, and if you want to write these things down, you can. There's a few things that we can draw from this, just what it's saying, just what does it say. First of all, it's important to understand that this is a verb that is in the past tense. In fact, it's what you might call, it's called the past perfect tense. It means it's something that's absolutely 100% completed, right? We're made alive together with. Christ. This is a verb. This is a past tense verb. In other words, this is something that's already done in someone. Remember, this is talking about the mechanics of salvation. And he's saying, when you, as a Christian, as someone who's saved, this is something that's happened to you. Right? Secondly, besides being in the past tense, this is something that's connected with, and this is going to be true for all three of these verbs, this is something that is connected with Christ. There's something about this being made alive that's that's synchronized or connected with Jesus specifically, right? There's a connection there. Part of the being made alive, part of this, this salvation that God has worked is connected to Jesus, right? You, can, you can't separate it. It's part of the Word. And so we, we have to understand... This life here is a, is a connection with Christ. And 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 it, that, there's a lot of things that could mean. We'll get into in a minute. But there's things like the fact that we're connected with Him because He lived, right? Because He was resurrected. We have this resurrection. And, and His life now is part of our life now. So we'll talk about those things in a second. But there's definitely this absolute connection between our being made alive and, and in the process of being made alive, we are connected permanently with Jesus Christ. Right? The third thing you could take from this first first part, is that you have to understand that this is an action verb. Somebody did something. Right? Just like in our language, there's verbs. You know, Bob ran here. Right? I mean, there's a verb. Right? This is a verb. Somebody is performing this making a live action. And we spoke a little bit about this last week, but just to reiterate, once again, this is a verb. Somebody did something. In this case... Who's performing the action? If you read the text, you may have to look back in your Bible, but look at it. Who's performing the action? God. Right? He made us alive. He did it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did He do? He made us alive. So part of our salvation, just looking at the text, not not even trying to come up with meaning, just looking at the text, it's clearly God is... This is something God is doing. This is His action. Now, secondly, we have the second verb here. Raised up with Christ. Now, this is a slightly different field than made alive. Although we kind of connect being made alive and being raised up, right? There, there's a connection there. Raised up with Christ, right? This is talking about a resurrection. In fact, if you were to go back to chapter 1, verse 20, it actually says the same thing about Jesus it says, uh, actually, start with verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? And so, there's this same idea happened in verse one or chapter one with Christ. The says Paul said Christ by the power of God was raised up. The Spirit of God raised Christ up. And he was seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And we talked about that in in chapter 1. Paul's now using the same words, except he's added that synchronized aspect to it with. He says, we've been raised up and seated with Christ. It's also important to understand that this verb, it is also something in the past tense. Now let your mind chew on that for a second. We're talking about resurrection, and yet Paul says it's something that's happened. We've got to think about that, don't we? Can't ignore that. It's past perfect tense. It's something totally completed. The third verb, seated us with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Once again, just like chapter 1, verse 20, it says Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father. And now right here, what's it say? You've been seated with Him. Where's He seated at? At the right hand of the Father. You've been seated with Him. Once again, it's past tense. It's something that's happened in salvation. Now, this is the third time that it mentions in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realms. Uh, Ephesians, this is the only place in Ephesians that talks about in the heavenlies, as some versions say it, or in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realms in that particular way. And it says it in chapter 1, and it's when Paul says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Also in chapter 1, he says it when he says Christ seated, Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, right? And now Paul's using it a third time and he's saying you've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now, this should be stirring up some questions, shouldn't it? Wait a minute. Resurrection, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that's something that's going to happen to us, Right? I mean, yeah, I get, okay, we've been made alive in Christ, we've been saved, but resurrected, don't we have to die, and then we're resurrected, then we go up to heaven? But yet, Paul is clearly saying right here, part of salvation is you're made alive, you're raised with Christ. Now, when Christ was raised in chapter 1, when it said when Christ was raised, wasn't that talking about a physical resurrection? And then when it said he, he went to the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies, he was raised up, right, seated with the Father... Wasn't it talking about physically he left? Didn't he, in fact, actually physically go up his ascension? And yet Paul's saying, we, we were made alive. We were raised with Christ and seated with him. Something that's already happened. Now, if you're thinking at all today, you're thinking, that's unusual. What's that mean? What's that?" I mean, we're just looking at what it says first. But what does that mean? Now, we're going to jump into asking the question, what does this mean? But before we do, I need to remind you one more time. This particular passage of scripture is talking about the mechanics of what happens in a soul when someone is saved. When someone gets saved, what's actually going on? And this is what this is about. Okay? Are you ready? We have to ask the question now, what can we learn? What can we learn about this? Well, number one, one of the first things that we have to learn is this. Salvation, getting saved, you can't escape it in this passage. Salvation is primarily about God's action, not ours. It's primarily about something God did, not about something we did. Now, we, we, we understand this and, and to a degree. Most of us would jump on this already. Where we go, oh, yeah, of course. We're not saved by works, right? Not saved by what we do. But literally, this is saying, you were dead, spiritually opposed to God. God made you alive, right? And now you, you're you alive, right? I mean, God did this. I used the illustration last week of a flame, and we got the candle. That one's going much better over there. While well, it's flickering a little bit. Uh of a candle of a flame with a flame uh, one of the uh, simultaneously when, when the flame starts you have heat and light don't you? flame you have heat and light I mean, they're connected they're, they're, they're simultaneous events but nobody would say that the flame is the result of the heat and the light right? the flame is the cause the heat and the light are the result very much the same way in the making alive of a person in salvation what God does in making alive is the cause what are the results things like faith belief now, this might be a little bit different than how you've thought about salvation and how you've thought about Christianity. But it's inescapable in this passage. Paul, In fact, Paul hasn't even, as he's talking about the mechanics of salvation, he's talking about being raised with Christ. He's talking about, so you were dead. God did this, and he did this, and he did this. He hasn't even mentioned us yet, has he? Belief is, belief will belief be mentioned in this passage? It's got to be. He's going to talk about it. But has he gotten to that yet? No. The initiative is God's initiative, and it's on God's part. And God's, God deserves all the glory, not just for the salvation of anyone, but specifically for your salvation. If you're a child of God, you have to acknowledge that it's all because of Him. It's nothing but grace. If you claim part of your salvation for yourself, and say the, the reason why I got saved and this person didn't is something because of me, then you're taking part of the glory, but God deserves all the glory, even for your salvation. Salvation's about grace. So often we make salvation not about um, what what God's action is, but about our. We make it a lot about our actions. But you have to understand the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that salvation is primarily about our actions. The Bible teaches salvation is primarily about God's actions, right? And we'll come back to that thought in just a second. Number two, this is something I've mentioned already. Number two, salvation is about being connected to or being connected with Christ. Now, Paul will talk more about this as we progress, but it's important to understand this. God connects us with Christ. Now, there's a good picture of this in baptism. What do we say when someone is baptized? We say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. I mean, so everything about Christianity, about salvation, is about understanding that it's a connection with Christ. This is also played out in the Christian's life. The Bible is full of examples of saying things like, uh, you know, we're to share in his sufferings, we're to bear up our cross and follow him, we're to follow, you know, to live and walk in his steps. I mean, everything about the Christian life is about being connected with Christ and living for Christ. And it's an inescapable connection. But I think that this goes deeper than just like a, a mirror. I mean, that's a good illustration of where to live as a reflection of Jesus Christ. But I think it goes even deeper than that. I believe that Christ should be, for lack of a better term, should be our, our power, our, you might call it our life source. I mean, this is the thing that we turn to. Our power, our ability, uh, uh, is everything, our, our reliance in all things... Goes back to him. It's like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Paul recognized that his strength was because of Christ. I'm going to turn just briefly over to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Romans 8, 9 through 11. If you want to turn over there real quick, I'm not going to put it on the screen for you today. Romans 8, 9 through 11. Now, Paul is talking about living in the Spirit of God, not living in the flesh. But There's a certain key words in here that kind of stand out as you listen to this. Paul is speaking to Christians, and he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, see that connection with Christ? Right? Now, now listen to what Paul says. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Right? If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. These are hard words if you let it sink in and let it soak in. But it, it only something like this only makes sense... If you understand that, salvation is something that God is doing. And God does not fail. God does not fail in what He does. Here we have this passage. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead... See, so he's talking about the same kind of topics here, right? Right? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You know, a couple thoughts about this passage before we move on. Uh, I'm talking about how we are connected with Christ. There's this connection with, because of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit of Christ is to be in us. Okay? And that's what we're talking about. But I want to point out in this passage that the, the Bible is actually full of A lot of ifs. See, the Bible does not paint a picture that, hey, I can know I'm saved because of what I did. The Bible paints a picture of, I can know I'm saved because of what God is doing. The Bible is always, there's there's so many, as much as the Bible offers assurance, the Bible has many, many more uh, warnings to people because the Bible paints a picture that, here's a reality. You can have people that come to church their whole life and, and still die and go to hell. And so the Bible is full of warnings for those people to say, how can you know that you know that you know? And how you know that you know that you know, as many pastors have said, is not, well, I know that I know that I know because I did. No. I can know that I know that I know because God is doing this. I was dead. I'm alive. Here's the signs of life today well, I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm saved. Where's my assurance of salvation? What's God doing in you today? Do you have the signs of the Spirit of God? I mean, if the same Spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead dwells in you, it's going to give life to your mortal bodies, Paul says. But notice how he throws in there. If it's so. If this is actually the case. I'm writing to a group of people that go to church, but hey, if the Spirit is actually in you, this is what you should see. A powerful Spirit. It would be kind of like this. My, my son Samuel, let's say he came back to me one day and he says, Dad, something really weird happened. It was supernatural. Okay? Everything you do is weird, son, but okay. He says, the, the Spirit that gave Michael Jordan all of his bas- basketball abilities came into me. Okay, now that'd be really weird, but... but uh, Okay. Now, if that's true, what should I see? I mean, if th- th- that same spirit that gave Michael Jordan all of his ab- abilities was now residing in my son... Shouldn't I start to see, what kind of things would I start to see? Okay, now just say it, because you know, you're all thinking, what, what kind of things should I start to see? A better basketball player, right? I should go out there and he should be like dunking over the top of me, you know, tongue hanging out. I mean, he should be flying through the air, I mean, dribbling like a maniac and, and shooting three-pointers. And Now, if he said, Dad, the spirit of Michael Jordan is now dwelling in me. And I said, okay, let's see, this moving move on out and play basketball. And I was still dominating him, as I can do. Uh, what, what, for a little while, see, I had to brag for a little while longer. Eventually this isn't going to be the case. He's going to outgrow me and everything else. And so I have to enjoy it while I can. But if, if there was no change, what would be the reasonable response? Son, what would I say to him? You guys are shaking your head now. Excuse me when to say it. Uh. It's not there, son. <laughs> Do you understand that that's precisely what Paul is saying? If the same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in you, you should see the Spirit of God in you. And you know that's the thing. The Bible is full of that. It's constantly saying, this is how you know. This is how you can be sure. You've got to see God's Spirit working in your life signs of life this is such a hard thing because frankly so many and I'm going to put it this way have preached a different gospel than what is presented in the bible a gospel that says you can know you're saved by what you do did you do this yeah you're safe you got your ticket you're fine doesn't matter how they're living doesn't matter if there's spiritual growth you did the thing. You did the thing you were supposed to do. You're good. Don't worry about it. You're fine. You you prayed the Did you pray the prayer? Yeah. Okay, good. Did you do this? Yeah. Good. Okay. You don't have to change. You don't have to grow. It's not necessary. But yet the Bible doesn't it doesn't present that kind of guy. It presents a powerful World dominating Jesus Christ, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that same Spirit is in his followers, in his people. And it's important to understand this. Okay? Now, number three. This folds right, what I'm saying here folds right over into the next point. Christians are alive and not dead. Christians are alive and not dead. Okay? Now, we talked about this last week, so I'm just going to real quickly reiterate and we're going to move on to the next point. We talked about this last week. We were dead in our rebellion to God, in our sins. We've been made alive. This means a very a, a serious release of the power of sin over us. This is why in First John, when John writes this letter to assure people that they are... A, this is how you can know. If you ever want to read a book of the Bible that lets you know how you can know, you read First John. But the, first, John, it says things like this. It says, nobody born of God can continue sinning. What? But we're all sinners. We're going to keep sinning. What's he saying? If you are really born of God, you're not going to just keep on sinning the way you were sinning. John is not talking about suddenly you're going to be perfect. What he's talking about is that those people that are born of God, you know the anger problem? It's going to begin to diminish. Because they're born, they're growing. You know that gossiping that is going on? It's going to start to go away. Some things are going to go away immediately. Some things over time. Right? Maybe you're lazy. You don't work hard for the things of God. You don't seek after Him on a daily basis. If you're really a child of God, that's going to change. You're alive, you're not dead. you got the Spirit of God in you. You're going to start to change and grow and things will be different. And and every single one of you that is truly a child of God, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you should be able to look back. Now, let me clarify. You should be able to look back and say, I was that, now I'm this, like Paul's doing. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was dead, now I'm alive. There's something different. Now, we love that when somebody's way over here and they're in the pit and, man, they were drinking alcohol, they're doing all kinds of horrible things, living a totally everybody's life, and they, they, they leave all these big things behind and then they're right here. We love that. But the Bible also teaches that God continues to do that work in people's hearts because He's a powerful, the Spirit of God. And He continues that work because He's going to make you like more and more like Jesus Christ as you progress. Once again, this is not a gospel that's been preached in, in every church. We, there's a gospel that's been preached and it's really a different gospel that, 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 that God saves some people to, to this and some people just to this. And No, 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 no. The gospel of God is a powerful gospel. And it's a gospel that it, it says that the Spirit of God comes into and dwells in you and begins to work in your heart and in your spirit you're going to begin to grow and change your life. You're not dead. There's a difference. And the difference just keeps on going. Now, this doesn't put more pressure on us. Some people hear this and they go, man, this is a lot of pressure. I've got to stop sinning. No, 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 no. See, then you're still missing it again. What it does in us is it puts more and more of a dependence on God. Right? More and more of a dependence on Him. To become like Christ, that's not... The weight... The burden of me being more like Jesus, the burden of that doesn't fall on me. Do you know who the burden of that falls on? On Jesus. And he's going to accomplish his work. And he's going to do his work, and he's going to do that work in you. If it be that the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? then that's what's going to happen. And you will see things, and you will begin to realize, I'm not the same person I used to be. In fact, I'm not the same person I was last year. I'm not to same, and I I can see man there's all kinds of things I'm still working on right I'm growing I'm changing This is this is a step beyond simply being moral right Even lost people can be very moral and good people it takes us in a, a step in a different direction. You, you, if you really have a spiritual life that is synchronized with Christ, there's other things that will have to show up because I know who Christ is. I've read about Him in the Bible. And if you're really synchronized with Christ, more and more of what Jesus is is going to come out in you. And, and if we're really practical, and we'll come back to this in just a moment, but if you're really practical, you're going to start seeing things like Bible reading and study, prayer A love for the brothers of Christ and sisters in Christ. A desire to share the gospel of God. Right? Which jumps into this next point. We're almost done. Number four. Christians are to live a resurrected life. We're raised with Christ. Right? It doesn't say, I'm going to be resurrected someday. Paul says, you're resurrected with Christ already. Once again, like I said, this goes beyond just a moral life. You know, so many believe that being a Christian is about being good. I mean, if you talk to the typical person, they think being a Christian is about being a good person. And it's not. Being a Christian is about a complete shift on the inside. I'd like to share with you a passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to read, I'll just read it for you today, just to conserve a little time. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 puts it, I think, very well. Paul's talking about the same topic and he says this, If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Do you see the same language going on there? Raised, seated with Christ, right? This is where Christ is sitting. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right? Now this command, notice this is written as a command to people. Hey, if you've been raised with Christ, seek what's above. Well, wait a minute, I thought you said this was everything that God was doing in us. Okay, you're right. Let's think about it this way. Jesus, at one point, walks up to a tomb, and he gets ready to say something at this tomb, and the sister of the person in the tomb says, Don't go in there. It's been too many days he's begun to stink and Jesus says Lazarus come out now Lazarus couldn't just simply obey that command in and of himself could he what had to happen first before Lazarus who's dead in the tomb could come out what did he ha- what had to happen he had to be made alive he was dead who took the initiative? Christ. Lazarus, come out. What an amazing word of Jesus. All he had to do was say, come out. And in the saying of that word, cells came back together. Blood, cells reformed. A heart muscle began to beat. Blood began to flow. All wrapped up in those Bandages. Lazarus, what could he do but come out? See, a command like this in Scripture doesn't put the pressure on us any more than it put the pressure on Lazarus to come out of the tomb, does it? The pressure is still on Christ. His command gives power to his believers. And so you can hear a command like this in Scripture, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And you can go, okay, why? Why? Because you just had within yourself, no, no, no. Because you've been made alive, and living people don't stay in tombs, anyway. They come out. We serve a powerful God, a powerful Savior. I had more in my notes, but I want to. I want to wrap this up by just looking at the rest of Colossians, because I think it paints a great picture of this played out. And I, I don't have time to expand on each one of these things. I just want you to listen to it. Just. Just listen to this this command and see if you can hear this being made alive, this being raised with Christ. I didn't get to the fact that we're seated with him, so we'll have to get to that next week. But just pull it together. Here, you, you, you can hear these things happening in these commands exactly what's going to happen. So listen to it. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Listen to the next word. It says, set your minds, or as some versions say, set your affections on things that are above, not on the things on the earth. And so you see this resurrected mindset that is no longer just being good, being a Christian. is not just about, suddenly you're thinking, I'm not even thinking about this stuff down here. I'm thinking about this stuff up here. This is why it's so bizarre when someone's a Christian and they still, their number one concerns are vacation and retirement and... Uh, That's earthly stuff. Why would somebody who's resurrected already even be thinking about that kind of stuff? Their their head is already up here. You're in the clouds. You're otherworldly in your salvation. Right? It's like Paul says, your citizenship in Philippians, he says, your citizenship is in heaven. And this is what Paul's saying. In your salvation, it's almost like you're already there. In fact, your spirit is. Because it's not speaking figuratively. Let's read a little more. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ, there's the with again, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now, what is this going to look like in a Christian's life? It's written as a command, but even though it's written as a command, it's just like that command for Lazarus. Those who have been made alive, this is what it's going to look like. They're going to hear commands like this. And just like Lazarus coming out of the tomb, those who are Christians, this is exactly what's going to be going on in their life. Paul says, put to death, therefore, or kill, right, mortify. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Listen to some of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion and evil desire, covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Okay? These are bad sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. Okay, got it? That's like idolatry. Okay? Paul says, In these you once walked, right? When you were living in them, there's that dead in your sin. But now you must put them all away. Now he takes it a step, a notch higher, doesn't he? Anger. Wrath. Malice. You Some of these things here. Anger. Let's be honest, men. Some of us struggle in this, don't we? Anger. If you have been made alive in Christ, this is something that will diminish in you. And if it's not, you've got to start saying, okay, God, what's the problem? What's going on? Anger, wrath. Wrath is that explosion of anger. Malice is just that internal seeing somebody else and wanting bad Evil will towards somebody else. Slander. Somebody ever do something that bugs you, bothers you, who should you talk to? That person. If you go to somebody else, that's slander. Right? They did this. I don't like it. That's slander. You go to the person. As a Christian, as someone a child of God, that should be put off. Obscene talk. Dirty talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. See, he doesn't, he's saying his command, but he keeps going. He kind of switches back. Because don't you understand that you've died, <laughs> right? You're dead to sin now. You're alive in Christ. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And he takes it up another notch. Put on, then, he says, as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He's going to take it up a notch higher. And above all these, put on love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. He keeps raising it. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, there comes that Bible, the Word of Christ dwelling in us in a rich way. Okay? Word of Christ dwelling in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is not just for certain people. If you are a child of God, as this is almost the progression, we're putting off the really bad stuff, and now we're putting off the stuff that we kind of let slide—the anger and the mal. I got an anger problem, right? That's beginning to be put off too. Now I'm starting to become this kind and compassionate person, right? Well, how could this be? Because Jesus has made you alive. Now you're patient and kind and compassionate. But then it goes a step further. Now you've got something ruling in your heart. It's the peace of Christ. This is when it really begins to diverge from just the morality of the world to something even bigger and broader. It's 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 like my son saying, Yes, I've got the spirit of Michael Jordan, right? He should be dunking the ball. For you, it should be the, the word of Christ now dwelling in you in a rich way. Those that are truly children of God, these are the things that they begin to do and begin to, to love and care about. Right? The Word of Christ. And whatever you do... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped it. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So, so much so is the Word of Christ dwelling in you that, that just with people around you, you're, you're sharing God's love. You're sharing... It's actually starting to come out of your mouth now. Right? And not just in teaching. What does it say next? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, that pervades every aspect of your life. Every single thing that you do, whether in word or in deed, doing everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you see how that works? But see, so many of us, we read that and go, okay, I've got to put off this and I've got to put on this. And, but see, you have to understand These commands are written as commands, but the only reason why we could ever obey them is because God has done the work for us already. He's made you alive spiritually. He's turned you in your heart to one who loves God and is going to seek after God. This is the gospel that we need to preach and teach and share. A powerful gospel. And we need to reclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that He is a God who is powerful and He can claim anyone for His kingdom. We need to preach it about ourselves. That the only reason why you're here today, the only reason why you could give a lick about the things of God is because of the grace of God. Those people that you love and care about, that you want them more than anything to see God's goodness and you want them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. God can do that. Nobody is beyond hope. Nobody is beyond His great, rich grace. We have great cause as we get stirred up about these thoughts to go in one direction. You know what that direction is? Your knees. Crying out to God Lord, this person, this I love them so much, Lord, but I know they will never turn to you any more than I would have. Lord, would you shed your grace on them? Lord, in my own heart, I, I hear these things about putting off this, and the, or the anger, or the, the impurity, or the... all these, and I'm, I'm hearing that going, that's not me. Lord, would you help me to be more dependent on you? That Would you... Maybe I'm just growing slow. I've got stunted growth. I don't know, God, but would you pour your grace into my heart in such a way that I begin to grow? Maybe some of you have been in church and a part of church for a long, long time. But when you look back over the course of your the last few years of your life, the last 10 years, 20 years of your life, you don't see that loving, the richness of God and His Word pouring into... It's It's not... Maybe there's progress at first. I mean, maybe you were a drunk or something at the beginning and, and you got saved and you're like, whoa, I love God now. And you started going to church, but then something happened. You know what? God is even powerful for you. God is even powerful for you. I can guarantee you that God's goal for your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. Now, He complete that work when you die. But you don't want to have that happen and and, and to be standing before God and having known that you spent the last years of your life fighting it all the way. And besides the fact that if this happened, shed this quick turnaround, but it was just a state of morality, you've just gotten to be a better person, any lost person can do that for totally wrong reasons. Not being a drunk is actually better for your life. It's good to make that step. And there's lots of people that have nothing to do with God that do that. There's lots of people that have nothing to do with God that start going to church. One of the questions you have to ask is, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in me, I'm not seeing it. I'm not slam dunking the ball. I'm not dribbling around everybody. It should drive you again to your knees and say, Okay, Lord, I need to reassess here. This is why the Bible says, test yourself. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. I'm going to close in prayer, and I want to encourage you this week to begin that process. Okay, Lord, we're studying salvation. It's a little different than I remember hearing about it. Right? Is this true? Is Matt a kook? Or is he telling the truth? Be a Brian, break out your Bible. Does it actually say these things? Look up Ephesians chapter 2. Look up Romans chapter 8. Look up Colossians chapter 3. Read 1 John. Say, I'm not sure if I'm in the faith. Read 1 John. See if you're in the faith. That's what that book is there for. Don't take my word for it. Let's pray. Our only Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord. I just want to praise you, God, that you have a rich amazing salvation that you have brought to your people. Lord, my one desire is to see it even more. Lord, I ask you, Father, there's so many people that we meet each day and each week, and and Lord, I just want to see your great salvation so much. I pray, Lord, that you would bring that great salvation to this church. Help us to see it even more clearly. Lord, I pray above all else, that you would protect your gospel, protect your word. I pray that Edgewood Baptist Church would be a church of the word of God. Not just in title, not just in name, but Lord, in reality, that we would be a people that have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. In all these things, Lord, I commit all things to you and ask for increased fellowship and increased love for you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.